Would you please stand for the reading of God's holy word? The scripture text tonight comes from the four gospels, a section in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then a small phrase from the gospel of John. It's printed in your bulletin on pages four and five. From Matthew 26. When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. From the Gospel of Mark. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said to them, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will but what you will. From Luke 22. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. 
and from John 13, and it was night. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It is your word, and we believe your word. We pray, Father, that you would, through the powerful work of the Holy Spirit, fix our eyes now on Jesus. Let us see what we need to see. Understand what we need to understand. Respond as we ought to respond. All for your glory's sake. All because of your grace. All by your mercy. All in the name of Jesus. We pray. Amen. Monday, Thursday, I'm told often, is the favorite service of the year. What I love about the statement is that when it comes to me, it's not delivered from somebody who sees themselves as an audience, but from people who see themselves as participating in something that is much greater than themselves. That this night reminds them of who they are and who they are becoming and of who they once were. It's very, very important that we always lean deeply and only into the Word of God. But as time goes on, words that become familiar can easily lose the significance that they hold, and they no longer really hold us. And words that you've just heard have so much power because they are His Word, and they are put into the context of a narrative that describes the passion, the death, the resurrection, the life, the reign, the promised return of Jesus. And every one of these words matter. And so tonight we take a glimpse of this narrative from the four Gospels. I want you to lean in. I really do want and pray for each of us that our eyes will be fixed on Jesus. I simply want to take us to the table and I want to take us to this garden and then I want us to return back to the table. And I want us to see what it is that those present experienced. What they heard as Jesus spoke. As Jesus fulfilled prophecy and made prophecy that would soon be fulfilled. So let's begin by going to the table. I want you to go there as if you were there. I want you to truly look at these words from this holy word of God again and see what's taking place. The Gospels each record the story of this night, this very, very dark night that preceded what would become the darkest day in history. And on this evening, Jesus earnestly desired, the Gospels tell us, to have this meal with his disciples. It is the last time on earth that he would eat this meal with these 12, his friends, the ones he called to, to walk with him. For three years they've been walking together and he sends some of the disciples to the place to prepare the meal. Jesus says, I earnestly desire to eat this meal with you. All 12 are present. 
Picture the scene. Judas is there. Satan has already entered him. Luke will record that he enters again during the meal, but Satan has already entered him. He has already been to the religious leaders. He's already said, what will you give me if I betray Jesus? And he's there. He has waited for the quiet moments away from the crowds when he can move away from Christ, bringing the enemy against him. At this meal, many words are spoken, many I'm sure, which we don't know anything about. But the ones that the Holy Spirit inspired these four men to write as they were carried along by him, the ones he has given us. And we know because of what the word says that there in the intimacy of this meal, Jesus gathers with his 12 friends and he washes their feet. Picture it, it's not rushed, it's gentle. Peter is Peter. He responds as Christ moves towards him. Never. Jesus, essentially, I must. Then my whole body. You don't need me to wash your whole body. Jesus, present with his 12 friends, washes their feet, teaches them about love, about servanthood, about what it means to lead. And then, at some point during the meal, Everything changes. Everything changes when Jesus says the following. One of you will betray me. That's a word we might miss because it becomes too familiar. Betray. Betrayal means, betray means to lead astray to deliver to an enemy, to fail or desert someone, especially in time of need, betray. And so Jesus says to his 12 friends, as he has so, said so many things over the days and weeks heading up to this, that it's been confusing to the disciples, that during this intimate meal where he has touched them and washed their feet and taught them so many things, he says, one of you will betray me, and they don't know who it is. Each of the Gospels records how this narrative unfolds. Matthew and Mark record the disciples, each saying, Is it I, Lord? And John, John says that they were looking at one another, uncertain of who it must be. Picture it. Fix your eyes on that supper. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Picture yourself there as they're looking at one another. Who could it be? And finally looking to Jesus. Is it I, Lord? Luke tells us that they began to question one another. And not surprisingly, in some ways, but certainly in others, the conversation then moves in that moment to which of them is the greatest? What does that say about the condition of man's heart? Judas, is it I, Rabbi? And Jesus says, you have said so. The Gospels tell us that once Jesus spoke those words that one of you will betray me, 
Matthew says it, Mark says it. They were very sorrowful. So through these four narratives of, of the gospel and the story of this night, this dark night, betrayal is spoken. It's predicted. It's more than a prediction because it's the word of God. It's a prophecy. Betrayal is spoken and so is sorrow. Each of the disciples, it says, minus Judas, was filled with sorrow. Very sorrowful. And it makes sense. They had been walking with the only perfect man. Not once had Christ ever sinned. Not once had he said something wrong. Not once had he treated them with injustice. Not once had he put them down. Not once had he ever done anything inappropriate to them or anyone else. They had witnessed Christ do miracles beginning with changing water to wine. They were on a boat and watched Jesus say, calm, be still. They were in a different boat on a different night. In the darkness of the night, they see someone approaching them. They think it's a ghost, but it's not. It's Jesus walking on the water. They witness Peter get out of the boat. The only other man who's ever walked on water is Peter, and he walks towards Christ. They watch Peter begin to sink as his eyes are taken off of Jesus, and Jesus reaches out his hands and pulls Peter up as they get back in the boat. They watch Jesus feed 5,000. They watch Jesus at a tomb tell a man to come out who had died. They'd seen so much. And now Jesus is saying, one of you will betray me. And their hearts are very sorrowful. Judas leaves. Soon after Judas leaves, they all leave. And we move from the table now to the garden, or first to the Mount of Olives. And Mark, is where I'm at now, says, when they had sung a hymn. I love Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one to save. He will rejoice over you with loud singing. Have you ever thought about what it must have sounded like to hear Jesus sing? Just pause for a minute. Enter the story. Jesus, along with the 11, is singing. We love music, don't we? What did it sound like to hear this voice praising the Father? Mark tells us that they went out to the Mount of Olives. And then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. First, he says, one of you will betray me. And then he says, you will all fall away. The first one would betray because of a deep-seated work of the enemy where this man, Judas, had moved from a love for Jesus, if he ever had it, I guess, to a tremendous evil. An evil that would be swept away by greed. How could someone so close to Jesus betray him? 
But then Jesus says it won't just be him. And they don't know it's Judas yet. You will all fall away. How could they? Be honest. You know the right answer is what I'm about to tell you. We've all fallen away. But don't you struggle a little bit to see how they could? After all that they had witnessed, just being in the presence of perfection, but I mean real perfection, not just close to it. And yet he said, you will all fall away. Deep down, they can't believe it either. And so their leader stands up. And Peter is not speaking for the rest of them. He is speaking for himself. And he says, even though they all fall away, I will not. And then Mark tells us in verse 31, and they all said the same. What was the same? Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. But when the sheep and the prophecy of the sheep being stricken, when it happened, it's true. They scattered. Why? Because at that moment, the benefits of betrayal outweighed the benefits of belonging to the Savior of the world. At that moment for Judas, the benefits of betraying him in his mind outweighed the benefits of belonging to Christ. When those around that little fire begin to recognize that it was Peter, and that Peter belonged to Jesus, the benefits in his mind at that moment of betrayal outweighed the benefits of belonging to Jesus. And then he spoke what Jesus said he would speak, which he never could believe that he would speak, and then he heard the rooster crow. Peter denied that he knew the man. He denied that he would be associated with the man. His language is so strong that he says, bring down curses upon me. In fact, kill me if I am associated with him. The one who just not that long before said, even if I must die. He betrayed him. He denied him. They all did. The benefits of betrayal in their mind outweighed the benefits of belonging to Jesus in that moment. Mark continues this story. And Jesus, after speaking to them and saying that they would all fall away, speaking directly to Peter about the rooster, in his own denial, he says that he's moving towards a time of prayer. He says in verse 32, sit here while I pray. And then he takes with him Peter and James and John. And they go a little further away with Jesus. And, and Mark tells us that he began to be greatly distressed and in trouble or troubled. And he says to them, verse 34, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. Luke goes on and tells us that an angel appeared to him, strengthening Jesus. Picture that scene. Luke, the physician, reveals that an angel was present, coming to nurture and strengthen Jesus. 
And Luke tells us the physician that being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. What is he praying? They all record it. Father, take this cup from me. Yet not my will be done, but thy will be done. Three times Jesus prays this prayer earnestly. So heavy is his heart. So deep is his sorrow. So distressed is his soul that his physical body is glistening with blood because the blood underneath the skin, it's burst through the capillaries. Christ is now close to the ultimate death. The ultimate weight. The ultimate sense of becoming truly something that he has never been. Not a man who's going to commit a sin, but a man who's going to become sin who is going to take on the wrath of his Father for every human betrayal, for every man, because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the Old Testament tells us, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And Jesus is now facing that wrath. He knows it's coming. In that dark, dark night, he is anticipating the very dark day. And on that day, the next day, Jesus is going to cry out those famous words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's real. It's not just poetry. It's not just professing scripture. The Father really turned His face away. Jesus, knowing what's coming, prays to the Father in great distress. But He ends that prayer with not my will be done, but yours be done. And it was the will of the Father to crush Him. He rose from prayer and he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. And Luke tells us why. It was for sorrow. And then he says, rise and pray that you might not enter into temptation. One of the temptations for us is to minimize what happened this night because of what we will celebrate this Sunday. But what we must understand is in order for us to appreciate what Christ did on the cross and being raised from the dead, we have to understand the betrayal. We have to understand where we are in this story. And when we, when we say or sing things like we're about to sing, 
It's not just poetry. Who was the guilty who brought this upon thee? Alas, my treason. Jesus hath undone thee. Twas I, Lord Jesus. I it was denied thee. I crucified thee. Do you hear the disciples' words, their question to Jesus? Is it I, Lord? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And it's me too. Jesus said to them, because of me, you will scatter. We've been to the table. We've been to the garden. Now let's return back to the table. But as we go back, let's come here. Let's come to the present. Because as Matthew records what Jesus does, it is on this night, the night before his death, that he takes the bread and he breaks it and he says, this is my body. And then he pours the cup and he he tells them to eat and to drink. He institutes the Lord's Supper, something which the people of God have continued to do because he commanded it. It's a sacrament for us. But I want to say one thing before we come. In our liturgy, which comes straight from Scripture, we speak what Jesus said. We hear again that Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. We also hear, as often as you eat and drink, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. We also hear those words that Jesus spoke, do this in remembrance of me. And this is what I want to speak into for just a moment. Remembering what Christ did is not simply going through the motions of hearing what I've just preached straight from the Word of God, feeling a certain emotion about what it means to know that you and I are the ones who betrayed Him, and we remember it, maybe have some feeling about it, and then move on. That is not what the word remember means. To understand the significance of remember, we need to know that what Christ is calling us to is a vibrant and powerful participatory act where we examine and consider our lives and who we are in Him according to what is being remembered. It is the moment for us as believers where we come living in the present, engaged with what has happened in the past and engaged with what is going to happen in the future. Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. We come to this table to remember 
and proclaim and participate in tasting the salvation of Jesus. And that's why tonight is so special. It's this remembering, this participation, this act. The table is for you who said, is it I? It is a table for God's people and not for those who are not God's people. It is a table of celebration that is laced with those profound paradoxes of love, of mercy to a people who truly forsook him. It is a table that is not Presbyterian, but it is for God's people. And if you belong to Christ, we want you to come and we want you to feast. We want you to participate. We want you to remember. And in remembering, you give God praise. You've cried out, Lord, have mercy. And he has delivered. Lord Jesus, hear our prayers. There are thousands coming to you now, eager to taste this supper, to taste the presence of what it means to be your children. We come with sorrow, we come with joy. We come because you've called us to this table at this time, a meal that you are eager for us to participate in. Lord, prepare our hearts, we ask in Jesus' name, amen.